Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody. I'm Morris Ardwine, a co-host for the podcast Queer Voices, which is found under the LGBTQ plus studies on the New Book Network. In this episode of Queer Voices, I talk to Dr. Terry Chase about her book, Spoke by Spoke, How a Broken Back and a Broken Bike Led to a Wholehearted Life, released in November 2021 by Push On Press. Here's a little bit about Dr. Chase. Dr. Chase is a is dedicated to health, growth, and learning. She has a deep and multifaceted background of advanced education and hands-on experience in healthcare, education, and professional development. A professional coach and speaker offering keynotes, experiential workshops, and breakout sessions in communication, team skill, and education practices, as well as coaching programs to develop extraordinary leaders. To learn more about Dr. Jace, you can visit www dot d-r-t-e-r-r-y-c-h-a-s-e dot com that's www.drterrychase.com welcome dr chase thank you so much i really appreciate it morris this has been a, a great opportunity and i look forward to our talk today great same here it's it's really good to have you uh let's let me tell the listeners a little bit about the book from the book jacket spoke by spoke takes the reader on one woman's journey to reinvent herself following a hit-and-run accident which left her back broken and her bike crumpled by a speeding motor vehicle. The stories Terry shares will take you from the depths of despair and edges of darkness to bringing you up with her amazing spirit of perseverance and resilience. This book is not a how-to manual for facing the challenges of life, but rather an inspirational guide for living a wholehearted life no matter what hand someone is dealt. Why, why did you write this book? Well, I want. I wrote this book. I had been writing these stories for probably ten or you know t- ten or twelve years uh, prior to its publication and gathering it into a book form. Um, I had been writing the stories, um, talking about my life and some of the experiences, but I, I I was really hesitant to bring it full on out because um, I didn't want it to seem like a how to manual or a I can do it, you can do it too kind of thing. But through my own personal growth and the understanding that it was really important for me to step out beyond a curtain, um, to, to, to go do a, go beyond a veil that was hiding me from sharing my gifts uh, with the world, I think that's what really um, helped me move this forward uh, over, over the, that year of uh, 2021. Um, great. Um, well, because this network is about writing and it's listened to by a lot of writers as well as uh, readers. Um, tell us about the writing process. I'm always fascinated by by different writers' processes. What, what's yours? Sure. Well, I think it started with um, maybe just writing a few things down and then maybe hooking up with a writing coach here and there, but nothing really formal. Um, what I really got going was when I started actually spending more time in writing groups um, and getting feedback from others in the groups. It was a very positive experience. Um, I also did a couple of writing retreats where I would go away for, you know, four or five days uh, with with a writing uh, instructor and, and, again, a small group of people. I did that up on Whidbey Island uh, with Christina Baldwin and then uh, 
uh, another one here in Boulder. Uh, but th those kinds of things. And then as far as my own discipline, I would do uh, I, one of the experiments I did was how many words could I write in 30 minutes? And I found out that I could write about a thousand words, close to a thousand words in 30 minutes. So on the mornings that I'm really, you know, I'm focused and I've got my, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I don't wait to be focused. I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. Just get out there and start writing. Um, I would set my timer for 25 minutes. I'd put a little title at the top of the page and I would start writing. Timer would go off at 25 minutes. I'd go, oh, okay, I have five more minutes. And sometimes that five more minutes would turn into another 30 or 60 minutes uh, of focused writing. Right. Well, um, similar to my process, I get up and I just start writing. And even, mm -hmm. it, I don't get writer's block. I, I, I just start mm -hmm. looking at the room. And if I have to warm up by by writing down what I see, that gets, <laughs> gets me going. I don't yeah. do the word count limit because the word count to me yeah. is too much pressure. <laughs> oh, okay. You're right. <laughs> too right, much right, pressure. Right. Um, so, um, in this in this process, uh, since since we're talking about the book, um, give us a, a little bit of a, a read from the book, if you don't mind. Okay. Well, I'm going to start with a short section of the very first intro um, chapter. Okay. So this is called A Wholehearted Life, One Step at a Time. I'm biking into Grand Junction, Colorado, crossing the Colorado River Bridge on a fast-paced 10-mile ride through a favorite route on the outskirts of town. Out of nowhere, out of nowhere, the big black Lincoln Continental driven by a drunk slams into me, tossing my body onto its hot hood. I hear my bike being crumpled beneath the vehicle as I ride the hood of the speeding car until it swerves, at which point I roll off and hit the pavement hard. The vehicle drives off. My broken bike and I lie helpless in the road. My life is changed in an instant. Strangers stop and call for emergency help. I ask a man in brown boots, where are my legs? Because I can't feel them. I grip his boot as he replies, trying to be reassuring, right here on the ground. The last sense I had of my legs was in the air as I fell to the pavement. But the man has told me the truth, something I will learn to value in the coming days, months, and years. I already know this is going to be bad, and I have to find a way to ground myself. At this moment, I simply cling to the stranger's boot breathless and scared. Lights, sirens, emergency crews, and police surround me. I'm loaded onto a stretcher for transport to the hospital. I watch as the police pick up my mangled bike and toss it into the trunk of the squad car, an evidence tag dangling from it. Hey guys, I say to the paramedics, my breath shallow because of the pain in my back. The pea green ceiling of this ambulance is really boring. Maybe a picture or two would make it more interesting. Hmm. My back, yeah, my back may be broken, my sense of humor still intact. At the time of the accident, I was an active 32-year-old. The result of that day was a traumatic spinal cord injury, and now it's been over 30 years using a wheelchair and crutches for mobility. For most of those years, I was not willing to identify myself as a person with a disability. I fought the labels, the low expectations, the inequities, and the inaccessibility I encountered in our society. I wanted something more. I wanted a wholehearted life. Wow. Um, it seems like you have had to face a lot of things to write all this down. What was the hardest part of writing this book as far as telling the story? Sure. Well, I think the hardest part was that I didn't want it to be a woe is me, you know, how bad is this, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I, I wanted to be really honest and forthright about, yeah, this is really bad. And I found a way. And I think that's that's really where um, I feel like my book has value for others because I've been told that people 
people get it. I heard stories all this weekend. I was at a book signing and another speaker event and people would come up to me and said, I have your book and this story really resonated with me or I can't wait to hear more about it um, because people need inspiration in their lives and all of us have struggles. I'm not the only one. I always start every talk with, I know I'm not the only one who bad things happen. And they all like are out there in the audience nodding their heads. I said, but here's my story and maybe you can, it'll help you along your way. Great. Um, so I, I, one of the, the things that's stuck with me, there are many things that stuck with me, but one of them is that you got up every day and you had to decide whether it was a crying day or a laughing day. And no matter mm -hmm. what, which one it was, you had to keep going. Tell us about that whole mentality. Yeah. So, so one of the biggest motivations for me when I got hurt was to get back to my, get back to my middle school kids. I was a PE teacher. I was in the seventh year of my career. I really loved my teaching. I love being out with the kids on the fields. I mean, I did a very little lecture. I'd be like, okay, here's a few rules. I'll demonstrate a few things. Let's go play. Um, but uh, actually one of the chapters is called crying day or laughing day. And I realized that uh, I had to deal with whatever was up for me at that time. I couldn't put on just a happy face and go through the motions, or I couldn't just be um, morrowed in my sorrow. Um, I had to deal with it. And I also had to get on with it. The rehab program that I was in was, all right, let's get going. Let's get your life back and let's get you going. And I had to be an active participant in that. Um, there's so much uh, on those good days, like mm -hmm. uh, you, you, that, that, that is thrilling to read about because like, yeah, she's having a great day. That day, uh, uh, the day of the Arcus, <laughs> well, oh. the chapter on the Arcus. I want to, I want to see those pictures. I know we can't show pictures on a podcast, but you tell us about uh, capturing yeah. those Arcus and how hard it was for you just to get in the water. There's all kind of calculations you had to make in your head to just, right. just, just to be transported into the place to see that. Tell us. Yeah. So, that. yeah. So that chapter is called three white bellies and it's um it's about a trip, a sea kayak trip that I took. This is probably I don't know, five, five, six years, seven years after I got hurt, but it was up, uh, up in the, um, the San Juan islands off the coast of, um, Washington state. And we're on a three, three day sea kayak tour. And one of the day trips was to actually go out to the edges of the, of the, of the ocean and watch the, or what I called the Orca highway as the Orcas were, were doing their migration North. And so we're all, there's probably six or seven of, of us in boats and we're backed up against a granite wall right in the water. Um, and we're watching the orcas go, you know, they're, they're pretty far away from us, but we could see their spouts and we could see their noses and tails as they moved North. But as I turned to my left, I was the last boat on the left, the far left. And I turned to look to my left while I'm snapping pictures. I see three orca whales coming right at us. And I start saying, Hey, they're coming at us. They're coming at us. And I keep clicking pictures and I click, 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 click as they go underneath our boat. And the title of the chapter is Three White Bellies, because as they go underneath the boat, I see three white bellies. And I realized, man, one flick of the tail, we would have been like bowling pins all over the place. But they didn't. And that was quite the amazing experience for me, quite quite almost a spiritual experience in that I was so close to nature. I was so close to the wild. And here these orcas came right, right, at my, right underneath my boat, literally. Yeah, that is a thrilling chapter. You described it very well just now. But um, in the chapter, we are with you every moment, and you do a beautiful, mm -hmm. beautiful job. I, like I said, I wanted to see those pictures. Um, <laughs> uh, so I would love to hear a little bit more from the book. You, uh, if sure. you could re read a little bit more. Sure. Uh, I'll read from chapter 10. It's called Looking Up, and this is about my return to teaching, because I okay. think this is another message that I want people to get is you can go to, you can go back to the things you want. It'll be different. 
Uh, and or if you want to do something, go do that. But but here's looking up. Okay. A picture a picture perfect fall day out on the playing field. Cool temps, blue sky. A soft breeze rustled through the tall leafy cottonwood trees. The, the flag football field formed the interior section of a city park that doubled as the outdoor playground and teaching area for my middle school students. Okay, kids, I shouted. Let's divide up into teams. Take turns and say peanut or butter. I didn't like this part. The process of making teams always seemed to leave someone out. So I had to make up ways to get even numbered teams. Tall, short, male, female. Co-ed classes offered extra challenges if the numbers were off. My peanut butter routine was an attempt at randomization. My goal was to get the kids active and moving, making sure no one was left out. No one stood on the sidelines in my classes. Knock it off, Joey. No pushing. We have a game to get going. As a middle school PE teacher, I was always breaking tangles, breaking up tangles and near fights. These kids had loads of energy, but not much in the way of self-control. Miss Chase, can I be the quarterback? Asked Taylor, a short kid with red curly hair. I was sitting in my wheelchair, face to face with this wannabe quarterback. Teaching physical education from a wheelchair was all new for me in that eighth year of my career. It had only been five months since the accident that had paralyzed most of my lower body and damaged my athletic identity. Now I was starting to get myself off the sidelines and back into the game by teaching out on that field again. Sure, I told him. We'll all take turns at positions. You go first at quarterback. He smiled and turned toward the team, gripping the football a bit more confidently. Teams divided, ball placed in center. I blew the whistle, signaling it was time to start. The kids sprang into action. I wanted a better view of the game, so I pushed myself up to the, up to standing with my forearm crutches. I had only recently started walking again using the crutches. I cheered the kids on, shouting instructions for legal flag grabbing and ball handling. In the excitement, I stepped closer to the game, a bit too close. The rush of the ball handler, flag grabbers, and cheer, cheering players moved down the sidelines closer to the goal. I, too, was caught up in the action, shouting, cheering, eyes glued to the game. The kid with the ball, the biggest one of the class of seventh graders, were, ran right down the sideline as opposing players reached for his flags. Like any good running back, he was using the sideline in an effort to, to avoid flag grabbers. In a flash, I was hit. My crutches went flying, and suddenly I was lying flat on my back on the grass, staring up at the wide-eyed faces of middle school students. The cheering had stopped. Miss Chase, are you okay? Several voices asked in unison. Their concern was obvious, not just from their tone, but from the looks on their faces. From my new vantage point on the ground, my crutches lying next to me, I did a quick body scan for hurting places. None. I checked my breathing, still working. I checked my heart, still loving those kids and teaching. I smiled and laughed out loud. Sure, kids. I said, I'm fine. And I'm so happy to be here on the ground, back in the game with all of you. I meant it. No harm done. I was good. I was more than good. I was great. Five months in a rehab facility were done. I was happy to be back, even if I was laying on the ground. I was a teacher again, and these were my students. And what better way to let them know you can get knocked down and that there's always a way to get back in the game? Taylor pushed through the crowd, a look of real concern on his face. Miss Chase, he lamented, I threw the pass and he caught it and ran into you. I'm sorry. I smiled up at him. It's okay. You made a great pass and he caught it. Would have been a touchdown if I didn't get in the way. Huh. I, I used my best teacher voice. I shouted, go get my wheelchair, kids. I got to get up. We have a game to finish. 
I turned over, got up on my knees, dragging my legs and feet along behind me, reached for my wheelchair. I made one big thrust and a quick turn and my bottom landed in the seat. All right, I shouted, dusting the grass out of my hair, a little shaken but steady. Let's get this game going. Hmm. Bravo. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> um, it's such a great, great chapter. Um, I, I know you had some some really high moments like the Arcas and, and this chapter, um, mm -hmm. but there was, you, you say in the book, you, you struggle, recurring struggle with suicidal thoughts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, those lows are, are, are serious. Mm -hmm. Um, and yet you got to that wholehearted life How, to tell us about that piece. Or you, you might, I know there's a chapter or a bit you might want to yeah. read from that. Yeah, I will. And, and just, uh, also, um, another big motivating factor for me getting back to those kids and showing them that there was another way when things go bad is that just a month prior to my accident, there was a young man in our school who completed suicide oh. and, and it really affected the entire student body. He was like a, a beautiful, handsome young man, president of student body, quarterback, all that stuff. And so all of us had been reeling with how could this be? And I and I knew the I wanted the kids to know you could get back. And at the same time, I have to admit, I did have my downtimes too. So yeah. I'll read a piece from Edge of Dark. Okay. March 1989. I sat in the warm sun at the edge of the high canyon wall overlooking the Green River. Except for a few noisy hawks, the desert was quiet. Warm winds swirled up from the canyon floor hundreds of feet below, stirring the sand around me. The spot had a particular clear and open view, and it was the perfect place to wait for Al to catch up and join me at day's end of our three-day camping excursion. My teaching partner and I were exploring the rugged White Rim Trail in Canyonlands National Park in southeast Utah. The 110-mile trail runs through the remote, desolate wilderness and is for dedicated hikers, mountain bikers, and off-road enthusiasts, especially for those who love the desert. I had driven a few miles ahead of Al in my four-wheel drive truck. I was driving the support and gear vehicle on this trip. Al was riding his mountain bike. Over the course of the last three days, we'd split up in the morning, each going at our separate paces, and then meeting up again in late afternoon at our assigned campsite, where we'd share stories of the day's adventures. I'd tell Al of my scary drives over rocks, soft, sandy roads, and narrow passageways, often with precipitous cliff edges only a few feet away from me. He'd tell stories of his cycling adventures over the same roads, which were often too steep and rocky for even the most skillful and power powerful riders. Now, I waited for him, sitting in my wheelchair, contemplating the vastness before me and considering rolling myself over the edge, off the canyon's last Canyonlands ledge and into the open air. That empty space was calling to me. The idea of shedding the confinement of my wheelchair was appealing. I wanted to feel the cool, clear air of the canyons rust past me and be free of the metal rolling machine I was trapped in. It wasn't I consciously wanted to kill myself, which of course would have been the re result of my impulse in the moment. I just wanted out of that wheelchair. The thought of ending it all had crossed my mind many times since the accident a year before. If not for the accident and that wheelchair, I would have been biking the strenuous mountain trail, struggling alongside my longtime friend. But I could no longer hike trails or ride bikes off-road. I'd lost my ability to explore and be free in the wilderness, to walk miles through the mountain valleys of Colorado and the desert canyons of southern Utah. I could not heave the weight of a fully loaded pack onto my back and walk away from the city into the open lands. I could not even take a long bike ride after a day of teaching middle school kids. 
It wasn't simply the physical freedom I missed. It was the emotional release and exhilaration as well. I was used to handling the stressors of teaching and daily life through physical outlets like hiking and biking. These activities calmed me. I had found solace in the natural world, which to me was a spiritual place of worship. I could center myself in the midst of its beauty. Now my world had different struggles and I couldn't escape them on my bike. Many times after my injury, I'd go into very dark places within myself. For a long time, I couldn't bring myself to share with anyone the pain and struggle of having been a very active young woman who now needed a wheelchair to get around. Simply being out in public sometimes was too much to handle. People would avert their eyes as I rolled past, or someone would stare at me when I pulled into a handicapped parking place as if I didn't belong there either. At times like these, I would feel myself collapse inward. I wanted to hide to disappear. I wanted to just end it, put myself out of my misery and be done. But something always drew me back from that edge of darkness. That's excellent. Um, so captivating. Um, what was some of the, uh, the, the, the funnest or most enjoyable parts about writing the book? Oh, I think some of it was reliving, you know, some of the, some of the um, stories that I told and really, uh, and really trying to get descriptive. I think that's one of the things that I've learned from writing coaches is to just get really descriptive with what was going on, you know, describe everything as best I can. Um, I had a really great editor that I worked with as well. His name is Chris Nelson. And he was a great guy because I, I, you know, I, he, he never changed my word. He never changed the essence of my voice. Now, sometimes, you know, I have some, you know, some hangups around how I write things, but he never, he would clean things up and help me with that. But one of the things I so appreciate about him as an editor, and I will stand by this at all times, if I need to find another editor at any time or, you know, tell anybody else to do it, but make sure they don't lose your voice. Cause Chris never did. He always respected my voice yeah. and question. What do you, what do you mean by that? And so sometimes me just talking it out or writing it out a little bit better clarified it for him, but he, he really helped me a lot. Well, that's a good editor. Cause you're right. Yeah. A lot of editors uh, will strip the writer of his or her voice and we're, we're left with something that's, that's not theirs anymore. Um, I, as an editor myself, um, in my job, I remember don't change something for the sake of changing it, leave that person's voice in place. So do exactly what he did question it, but, but mm -hmm. say, let them, let them resolve it. If there's an issue, yeah. if something stops you in a, in a, in a sentence, it shouldn't. And so mm -hmm. make it not stop you. <laughs> That's my philosophy. Yeah. Um, yeah. so, so, um, we're, um, coming along. I, I wanted to, um, I'm just curious, was there anything that you left out of the book that either inadvertently or intentionally? Oh, boy. Um, I think there was one chapter. Now it's I'm blanking on what it was, but it might have been something a little bit too long or that we had addressed um, already. But I, I think one of the things that, you know, um, that that I would like to do following, uh, you know, as a follow on to this book is I've, I've really been using it a lot in speaking engagements where I, I talk to people about, you know, some motivating factor or a way that they can, you know, create their own wholehearted life. And I use my stories, but I think spoke by spoke is really going to be rolling right along and helping me and helping others through my stories. And then through some, some new things as I produce going forward. Oh, I definitely believe that will be the case. Um, this book is so inspirational. Um, if, if there are people listening today um, who have, who have been through all or some or parts of what you've been through, what would you tell them? 
um, you're, you know, you're, you don't have, you don't have, um, you're, say an elevator, you're in an elevator with a person you meet now. Oh, 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 I, I went through this as well. Um, how did you mm -hmm. get through it? How do you say it in a succinct way? Because your book is full of ways to do this. And so right. um, what do you leave with, with a person? Right. Well, I think one of the things that I would definitely say, and the title of the book is how a broken back and a broken bike led to a wholehearted life. But to me, we often think that the antidote to exhaustion is rest. Like, mm -hmm. oh, I'll just rest up. I'm so exhausted. I'm so tired, you know, all that. And really what I found, and this is a quote from one of my favorite poets, David David White. And he said, the antidote to exhaustion is not rest. It's wholeheartedness. So what I would say is, find, you know, f create your wholehearted life. There's no reason to hold back anymore. Go for it. Whatever it is you want to do, go for it. You never know until you try. Absolutely. And um, we don't know how much time we have about a damn well live every minute of it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, thank you so much. I I, I would love to um, get the readers to know exactly how to get your book. The book just mm -hmm. uh, again is called Spoke by Spoke, How a Broken Back and a Broken Bike Led to a Wholehearted Life by Push on Press. Where can they find the book? Well, they can find it through Amazon.com. It is also available through bookshop.org. And if you're an independent book uh, store supporter, bookshop.org is the way to go. Mm -hmm. um, if you're okay with Amazon, do it that way. I, I would also encourage people to take a look at my website. Um, I have, you know, I've, I've been really been able to create some great uh, keynotes, some breakouts, some workshops. I work with people. And a whole other big section we didn't talk about is my work with horses. Yeah. Um, so I've done a lot of work with uh, training of working with people and horses for personal growth and development. I do sessions um, with individuals and groups. Um, but I, I I just would really encourage people to, to check out my stuff. You know, my contact info is there if they want to give me a holler sometime and let me know how maybe this book affected them or how I might be of service to them. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, listeners out there, if you have an idea for a podcast episode on a new book about the LGBTQ experience or from a person of the LGBTQ world, him or herself. Um, it doesn't have to be about the experience. It can be just a writer who happens to be in the group. Um, let us know. Um, send us an email at queervoicesofthesouth at gmail.com. Um, we cover all the United States now. We started out as just covering the South, but it's queervoicesofthesouth at gmail.com. This is Morris Ardwin. Thanks so much for listening. And thank you, Dr. Chase. This has been a terrific conversation. Thank um, you. Everyone join us again next time. In the meantime, make sure you let your own queer voice be heard.